This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. This week, Amazon stunned almost no one when it announced that it will open a second major headquarters near both Washington, D.C. and New York. Despite a nationwide sweepstakes, which drove nearly every major city, including Detroit, to compete for Amazon's geographic approval, the two epicenters of economic and demographic power on the East Coast were the winners. Yes, the rich continue to get richer. And it's not just the Amazons of the world that are concentrating their resources in a few powerful places. The gap between municipal haves and have-nots is growing, even as cities throw everything they can, tax incentives, subsidies, all manner of goodies, at companies they hope to lure. But does that ever really work? And are there better ways for cities to grow and to spread opportunity around? That's where we want to continue the conversation today, talking about cities and the way they compete for businesses, cities and the way they grow opportunity. <clears throat> and joining us now to talk about that is Sarah Holder. She is a staff writer with City Lab. Sarah, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So you cover politics, tech, and labor there at City Lab. Uh, and so I, I want to talk to you about a number of different dynamics that I think have come out of not just Amazon, but several other sweepstakes kind of uh, uh, exercises we've gone through. But but let's start with this. Uh, it may be a very obvious question, but why New York and D.C. for Amazon? Right. So, I mean, as you mentioned, this has been basically a 14-month bidding war. Um, Amazon started with 238 um, cities and regions across North America, including places in Canada, um, bidding for the chance. And as you say, they, they ended up choosing New York and D.C. Um, I think D.C. Uh, or, or Northern Virginia was a front runner from the very beginning because Jeff Bezos owns the most valuable property here. Um, Amazon has been making a lot of investments in their lobbying arms. So being close to the Department of Defense um, and being close to the White House, I think, was a really big draw, um, in addition to some large data farms that they have in, in Northern Virginia. Uh, so DC, the D.C. region just always made a lot of sense. Um, and New York is the center of the global economy. Um, it's, it's one of the richest and um, uh, most booming cities already. Uh, they have a lot of um, tech talent there. Um, and and other tech companies are, are sort of making more targeted investments in New York as well. Uh, last week, news broke that Google was also going to sort of open a new headquarters in New York. So as you say, they're sort of choosing these two cities um, for for the reasons that we that we could have expected. Yeah. So so that then raises the question I think why go through this whole exercise of having these other more than 200 cities participate in this sweepstakes as if they had a real shot to land Amazon if if the foregone conclusion from the beginning was that you were going to go to the most logical places why indulge any of this? Right. Well, part of the part of the benefit for Amazon is that they now have these 238 really, really detailed proposals um, from these cities and regions. They know everything about their transportation networks. They know everything about their um, their tax codes. Uh, they know everything about their labor force um, and um, how far airports are from from different plots of land. So they have a really detailed um, market knowledge of all these all these regions. Um, so if they want to 
uh, place smaller regional offices around the country in the coming years, uh, they'll have a good a good idea of of where to go. Already, um, along with the two sort of HQ2 and HQ3 winners, uh, they've chosen Nashville, Tennessee, to place a 5,000-worker office building as well. So I, I, I expect we'd see maybe more of these smaller satellite campuses um, cropping up with this newfound um, newfound knowledge. Right. Uh, in, in a way, it, it seems as though this is an example of Amazon doing with entire cities what it already does with our personal data, right? Collects mm-hmm. it and uses it to its advantage. But I guess the question is, what's the advantage to the cities who participated in this sweepstakes? I mean, what what did they get out of this uh, to make it worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people could argue they didn't really get anything. Um, they, <laughs> they spent a lot of time and a lot of money drafting these bids um, only to sort of watch as the inevitable happened. But what I will say is I, I spoke to some uh, smaller cities that never really had a chance um, of uh, like small cities in Connecticut uh, and things like that at the beginning of this process. And I think for them, drafting an economic development plan to woo a huge company like Amazon was a good way of sort of uh, identifying their strengths and um, drafting something that could be easily um, adapted or pitched to other other maybe smaller companies um, who may settle in the first place. So it, it does get them sort of warmed up um, for uh, the next company that comes calling. Mm. Uh, but in terms of the Amazon process itself, uh, these cities gave away a lot of information, um, and Amazon hasn't, at least as of yet, uh, given them any any sort of benefit in return. Anything back, right. Uh, yeah, this this yeah. is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Sarah Holder. She's a staff writer at City Lab. We're talking about Amazon HQ2, which has been located now. It's going to be located in New York and D.C., two cities that are not short on economic activity or not short on winning, really, when you talk about the economic competition between cities. Uh, of course, the rest of us, 200-some uh, other cities, competed to try to get HQ2 to locate with them. And the question now, I think, is was it all worth it? Was there was this all kind of a ruse on Amazon's part to get information about these cities, but never really considering them for HQ2. <clears throat> We're also talking about uh, the, the more general uh, context of cities trying to get economic big wins, right? Uh, this idea of luring companies from other cities to come be in your city. Is that the way to grow a city's economy and to spread opportunity around? Or are there better ways that cities ought to concentrate on. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think about HQ2 going to New York and D.C. Tell us what you think about Detroit's bid, huge bid led by Dan Gilbert of Quicken Loans uh, to try to get Amazon to locate here in the city of Detroit. Uh, Tell us what you think about this whole practice. We see this over and over here in the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan. Uh, These efforts, these extraordinary efforts to locate, uh, to get companies to locate here. Is that what we ought to be doing? Uh, As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into 
the conversation. Uh, Sarah, I want to start with you before we get to the phones. Uh, talk about the the relative merits of this kind of exercise uh, on behalf of cities uh, and some of the other things that cities might do rather than this or I guess uh, maybe even uh, address whether it has to be an either or. Is, is this the kind of thing that we should be trying all of these things to grow our economies? Mm-hmm. Well, research has shown that incentivizing companies to move, um, to, to locate in specific regions through tax incentives and huge tax breaks is not an economically viable option. Um, a lot of people intend that this is just sort of the inevitability of how tech works, how large companies work. They're going to choose where they're going to choose for uh, reasons uh, outside of tax incentives. So Amazon wanted uh, access to education. They wanted access to tech labor. They wanted access to airports. Um, and as I, as I mentioned, they wanted access to political power and the economic power of New York and D.C. Um, Maryland offered $8 billion in tax incentives. They did not choose Maryland. Um, uh, Pittsburgh's and, and Pennsylvania's bid was just released, and it was also uh, much, much larger um, in terms of the tax incentives offered than, than the two actually winning cities. So um, this sort of shows that it was never about the incentives, but by pitting all these cities against each other and um, sort of uh, uh, using them as negotiating tactics, uh, it was easy for Amazon and for other companies like Foxconn uh, to to sort of uh, squeeze out as much money as possible. Hmm. Um, before before this race ended, a lot of uh, economic uh, economic experts and politicians from around the country signed an open letter sort of asking people to to uh, rescind themselves from these kinds of bidding wars. And it really needs to be a collective action um, because if, if one person is offering tax incentives and another region isn't, um, uh, that's sort of a problem uh, for all involved. Hmm. And this debate about how cities... How cities try to, to to do this? How cities try to grow their economies is is you know it, it predates Amazon and it'll of course postdate uh, Amazon. Are there cities that have figured it out in, in your estimation in in ways that we might learn from here in Detroit? Somebody uh, who who has figured out that balance between trying to get people to locate in your city and then also trying to grow the local economy uh, through some other means? You know what? I actually don't, I don't really have an example of that. It's interesting mm-hmm. because before, before the bids were released on Tuesday, New York sort of stood out to me um, as a city that sort of has it all and didn't necessarily need to, to offer a large incentive bid. Um, and in fact, the governor and the mayor um, were tight-lipped about their bid, but sort of implied that they hadn't offered a lot of money to Amazon. Um, and that they would sort of rest on their merits. Boston is another city, I think, in this race specifically, um, that at least before seeing the contents, uh, the, the full contents of their bid, um, doesn't seem to have offered that much. But of course, on uh, on Tuesday, we learned that New York State had offered um, upwards of a billion in in tax incentives. So I I, I don't have a good answer for you on that one. Um, <laughs> Everybody seems to be doing the same things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think 
um, again, if, if, if more cities sort of learned from this process and um, from the outset sort of refused to offer incentives, I think they will, they would be able to lean on some of these other, um, their other attractive qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with uh, Kristen. Kristen in Ann Arbor. What's on your mind? Well, I was saying, I was listening, and your guest was talking about how this, the research doesn't show that these incentives work. And I think it's because, so I work as a hairstylist, and one of the things that we're told all the time is charge what you're worth. And we know that Detroit mm-hmm. is worth more than these giant incentives just mm-hmm. to get someone in. It, it creates a, a entire relationship with the company to expect that kind of deal all the time forever. Wow. And instead, you could switch it around and make it more of a loyalty thing. They come in without the incentives first, and then as time goes on and they stay and create jobs and keep the economy growing longer, they start to actually receive better incentives for staying. Wow. Mm-hmm. Kristen, that's a really that's a really interesting way to, to, to think about all of this. Uh, I, I really appreciate the call. Uh, Sarah Holder, talk about that you know here in detroit we we are very i think aware of our historic um uh, low self-esteem let's call it that <laughs> right that this was a mm-hmm. this is a place that went through some really tough times a lot of people left and we did a lot of things for a, a long time to try to stop them from leaving and then to try to get other people to come and and we do we give away a lot of incentives and subsidies tax breaks, all kinds of things uh, in order mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, but does that, as Chris, as Kristen's pointing out, does that sort of cheapen your brand uh, as a city when you're willing to just give away the store to get a company? Yeah, I mean, I think more than cheapening the brand, it really sours the relationship from the beginning. If, if, if Detroit, for example, had won Amazon and then was on the hook for these billions, um, the relationship would be uneven from the start. And also, um, uh, the benefit that you're getting from the company then that you worked so hard to win um, will be greatly diminished. And I think what what people have brought up with regards to this race specifically is that um, what's great about an Amazon um, is that they're creating a lot of jobs, right? And, and a lot of cities do need a lot of jobs. A lot of cities need them more than <laughs> New York and D.C. Um, but, but a lot of these incentives are tied to the amount of jobs they create. So the more jobs they create, the, the more public funds um, these cities and regions are giving away. So it's a sort of interesting dynamic is, is um, once you win what you want, um, will you have given away so much that you're not going to be able to sort of enjoy enjoy the benefit? Yeah. Uh, again, Kristen, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Dennis in Detroit. Dennis, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do think that the kind of contest was a bit of a ruse, but in terms of Detroit's application, I still think there can be benefit gained from this um, in the sense that we didn't even make it through the first cut, I think tells us as a city and state that we're not quite there yet. But I think the information that was, was garnered from this can be used to help um, uh, convince our legislature of the need for improved public transit and mobility in our city. Hmm. And, yeah. and what do you what do you imagine that our legislature might do that they wouldn't have done before? 
Well, I mean, I think it gives us a little bit of leverage to say, you know, you you talk the talk of wanting to uh, make Michigan a place where businesses want to come and locate. Yet, you know, your largest city, you won't even, uh, you know, work to provide a regional transit for them. Um, and I think maybe that this will say, you know, if you really want, um, as you say you do, to draw big business, bigger businesses into the city and into the state, you need to do something about mass transit. Yeah, there's no question about that, Daniel. I really appreciate the call and the comments, uh, Sarah Holder. I, I, I don't imagine uh, I don't imagine that uh, we're going to end up in a different place with this anytime soon, right? Uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be another company that comes along and says, "Yeah, well, we'll locate in your city if you go through and jump through all these hoops and do this this big exercise." What would you counsel mm-hmm. cities like Detroit? To, in terms of how they handle the next big sweepstakes, is is there something mm-hmm. different we ought to be doing uh, when we when we decide that this is something we want to pursue? Yeah. Well, first, I, I want to speak to that great question mm-hmm. um, just just briefly. In that, um, uh, in DC for in the DC region, for example, uh, Virginia, Maryland, and DC actually did pour $500 million into transportation improvements in anticipation of an Amazon, even before hmm. they won. Um, so I think that that actually, you do have leverage over your over your policymakers um, in, in that capacity. And I think um, part of the reason the D.C. region did win is because they poured that money in. Um, and so I think that's a great, uh, a great point that that these economic development bids can be made stronger by stronger regional transportation. And if if cities want to invest their money not in tax incentives and instead in making the community stronger and then um, making them in the process uh, more more attractive to companies like Amazon, mm. I think that's, that's definitely um, a factor. Mm. Uh, but in terms of advice for the next race, I mean, at the beginning or, or sort of <laughs> – Six months in to this process, <laughs> I I thought that this might signal a paradigm shift in economic development deals. I mean, a lot of um, site selection processes happen in private. This was one of the first that happened on such a public um, sphere. Uh, so I thought that maybe um, other companies might take Amazon's lead and realize that um, they can <laughs> get these incentives out of regions if they only were to ask. But I think that the the end of the process, the fact that instead of an HQ2, Amazon is putting an HQ2 and an HQ3, um, really has disappointed a lot of people, as we've as we've spoken about, and really has um, not uh, not looked good for an Amazon. So uh, first of all, I think that um, cities shouldn't shouldn't expect another bidding war of this scale because I don't mm-hmm. think that any companies want to follow Amazon's lead after how it's ended. Um, but that's just my prediction. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in order to prepare um, for courting another company, putting investments um, in your community first uh, would be uh, a more strategic long-term plan. Um, as, as I said, companies are going to locate where they're going to locate because of things like transit, right. things like strong strong labor and educational forces and, and investing in your community in those ways helps everybody um, 
and maybe in the process will will attract a company. So I think that that's a more strategic long term plan. But of course, it's hard if you're if you're a smaller city and you're hoping to steal away a tech company from the New Yorks of the world. Um, it, it makes sense to want to sweeten the deal. Um, but I hope that this process maybe um, opens people's eyes to to sort of um, who can get burned at, at the end of it. Okay, Sarah Holder, staff writer with City Lab. Thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about cities and companies and incentives and economic growth. Kirk Pinho of Crane's Detroit Business is going to come talk about the Amazon HQ2 exercise from the perspective of the city of Detroit's bid. We want to continue to hear from you as well, Daniel and Southfield. Trey in Detroit, Dan in Birmingham, Robert in Detroit. We will get to you next. And if you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Joining us now to talk a little more about Amazon HQ2 and Detroit's involvement in the sweepstakes is Kirk Pinho, a reporter with Crane's Detroit Business. Kirk, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So let's start with the time and energy that came out of Detroit to try to lure Amazon HQ2 uh, to the city, it was not a small effort. Give us a refresher on all of the things that we did to try to win this sweepstakes. Sure, no, I mean it, it, it was uh, it, it was definitely an all hands on deck type um, type process that involved dozens of people from uh, the city itself proper, from the DEGC, from Dan Gilbert's team. Um, there was like a sixty member sort of like advisory committee that. That was set up with, you know, heads of universities, uh, nonprofit organizations, other regional leaders that, you know, in the, in their own way chimed in and, you know, helped forge this what ended up being a 240 some odd page bid proposal that was shipped off to shipped off to Seattle. And it had a really cool video with it as well, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as I remember. Yeah. Uh, but we came up short. We didn't make the shortlist. We didn't sure. even make the first cut. Correct. Why? Um, one of the reasons was the regional transit. Um, Amazon also felt that the region was not where it needed to be in order to attract and, re- and retain talent. Dan Gilbert has, has been arguing that one of the other things that was that was a key issue was, I believe, what he referred to as sort of the city's uh, the, the radio- radioactive fallout from you know a long you know decades long decline that still uh, sort of informs people's perceptions of of, of the city itself. Uh, and did there did we end up with, I guess, assets out of this that we wouldn't have had before? You get all these people around a table. You get all these people working together to present something to Amazon. You you don't necessarily just walk away empty-handed, I guess, at the end of it, right? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, obviously, we we have the you know the very tangible a- aspect of it, which is we have this almost encyclopedic um, look at the region and what it has to offer, where where it comes up short, something that, you know, we didn't have prior to this process. But 
for the first time in you know a while, um, the the region's leaders came came together and all sort of publicly back backed this thing. There, there was um, there was a lot of uh, uh, holding of hands and a little little kumbaya for a little while. Um, you know, we'll see we'll see how well that holds we'll up. See if that but, actually if that actually pans out right. with 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 tangible changes. I think that almost certainly we'll see cooperation or more cooperation on the next regional transit effort than we did uh, before because of that, although we did take a run at it this year and it right. sort of collapsed again right. uh, under the weight of our own, uh, I think, short-sightedness. Um, I, I also think, and maybe this is a stretch, but but you'll correct me if it is, that, that announcements like the Ford move into the train station, I'm not saying it's a direct result of Amazon, but I think the idea of trying to get another big employer to locate in the city of Detroit in order to to, to really kickstart the economy, you know, it doesn't seem to me entirely disconnected. Maybe Ford was already thinking about it, but I think that kind of uh, excitement, that kind of investment on the on the community's part, maybe says to Ford, uh, it's time for us to get really involved mm-hmm. in the revitalization of Detroit. Is that a is that a crazy idea? I don't I don't think it's particularly crazy. Um, you know, Ford had been you know considering doing something with the train station for for quite some time, but uh, it's actually just sort of fortuitous, I suppose. If I remember properly, the the first meeting between the Maroons and 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 Bill Ford Jr. came within roughly a month of when that Amazon proposal was announced, mm-hmm. which I think was uh, you know right around Labor Day uh, in 2017, and then the first meeting between you know the Maroons and Ford came you know roughly a month later. Um, I, I, I don't know necessarily how, how how if it all one informed the other, but I mean the you know they were very 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 proximate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Kirk Pinho. He's a reporter with Crane's Detroit Business. We're talking about Detroit's effort to have lured Amazon HQ2 to the state of Michigan, an effort that came up really short. In the end, I'm not sure that the effort was what really mattered, given that Amazon chose New York and Washington, D.C., two places it didn't have to have a national contest to try to decide whether to to go to. Those are the cities that are going to get HQ2. Uh, We're talking about the value of this kind of exercise of trying to put together a giant package of incentives and goodies, really, to lure companies to a city. Is that the best way to grow the local economy? Is that the best way to spread opportunity around? Or are there other things that we ought to be doing? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Daniel in Southfield. Daniel, what's on your mind? Yes, hi, Stephen. Thanks for the great show. Mm -hmm. Um, This is an exercise in weird self-deprecating of civil society. I mean, we vote for people... We have city councils, we assess taxes on, our, on ourselves, and then somebody walks in and says, I don't want to pay. Right. I want, I I want, want my own deal. And I, because, because everybody else has to pay. This happens in, in the suburbs. This happens everywhere. This happens if the Myers doesn't get the deal in Auburn Hills that they want, then they move to Oxford. Okay? They don't, this happens everywhere. Okay? And it's, and 
it's a weird kind of perverse behavior where we pass laws on each other. We tax each other. We agree to certain terms. And then somebody walks in and totally flips the table over and says, I don't want to play by the rules. And I don't, I don't, I don't understand why people can't see why this is ridiculous. Hmm. Daniel, I, I really appreciate the call, and there's a really interesting way to put it. I mean, to sort of extend your analogy out a little, it's as if that person walks in the room and says, I'm not going to play by your rules. You're going to play by mine. Uh, someone like Amazon says, here are the things that we value, and here are the things that will help you win our approval and get us into your city, and all of the cities kind of jump in, jump in, into line and do all of those things. Is that a, is that a fair way to see this process, Kirk? Sure. Uh, I mean, I, w- I would argue that it's not like Amazon can't afford it, um, you know, to, to do right. one of these things without without paying the taxes, uh, uh, you know, paying the, the, the full load of taxes. But, you know, we also have to remember that in, in their original RFP from early September of, of 2017, one of the things that they spelled out very explicitly in in their consideration of the overall overall, um, you know, raft of you know submissions that they're going to get is what's the incentive structure going to be mm-hmm. like so if you know detroit or michigan or grand rapids or you know any other community um that was vying for this thing didn't didn't put anything forward you can pro- you can probably rest assured you know even <laughs> even before this this process was culminated that they'd be, they'd be out of the running anyways so mm-hmm. uh, again daniel thanks very much for the call and the really insightful comment let's go to robert in detroit robert what's on your mind well, you know, this is corporate welfare, and um, I think that um, it kind of reflects from a political perspective on our country as a whole how divided we are, because um, we tend to have large populations that are Democrats, and then we have unpopulated areas that are more Republican, and the Republicans always have control, like in the Senate right now. And so um, they want to be in a place where they have control politically, and they can lobby, like in uh, Washington, D.C., but they um, they want to have the the intelligent workforce that you have in those large populated areas. It's kind of a socialism. If if all things were equal and there were no incentives, they would probably be in Detroit because we have the the human capital and the education systems, and um, it's the place where you can make the biggest return on your investment because the city has so many economic opportunities here with um, everything costing so low. The only thing we're lacking is public transportation, but. Like I said, take away the incentives, the welfare, and we would be the number one place. Mm. Uh, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting perspective, Robert Kirk. I want to give you a chance to react to what he's saying there. Uh, it's quite, uh, quite an optimistic view, and as, as we were saying, as we were saying before, um, you know, some of the things that Amazon spelled out as as being you know the determining factors were um, were number one, uh, like Robert said, public transportation, but also you know it's it's. Um, a, its assessment that the the region uh, was not at the level that it, that it wanted to be in order to attract and re- attract and retain the talent. Sure, we've you know made made inroads on that, but it's not. <laughs> I, I would argue that Detroit is not at a Washington D.C. or a New York City level with regards to those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Robert, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Ryan on the east side of Detroit. Ryan, welcome to Detroit hey, today. Good, good, good morning, everyone. Um, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, number one, this is very similar to uh, when sports teams decide to move their uh, move their stadiums. Uh, we, we've seen historically that that doesn't uh, reap the benefits that they say that they would. But also that um, if we were to get 
Amazon to come here, it would just be another wave of gentrification um, where we are pushing out, you know, the, the new residents who just came in, you know, help to up rent, you know, 50%. And uh, as we saw in Seattle where, you know, rent was going up almost 200%, and you had a very big homeless population because, you know, the the uh, the new residents from the Amazons and the Googles were boosting up rent so high. So it, it all, for, for the cities, I guess, it, it's who do you really work for? Do you work for the corporations or do you work for the voters who actually voted for you for mayor or for city council? Like, who, who are your actual constituents? Wow, that's a great question. Ryan, uh, the, this question of of how and who uh, these kind of things benefit uh, a city in a city is is a really thorny issue, Chuck. Oh, abs- absolutely. And um, there's a reporter out in Seattle named um, Mike, Ro- Mike Rosenberg who covers ho- who covers housing out there, and he does a, a bang up job. And the you know. It, 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 Landing in Amazon would have, would have been a mixed bag, regardless. I mean, if 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 you take a look at how Amazon's growth in the last number of years has has affected Seattle's house um, you know, housing situation, it's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, presuming that it would have a similar effect here, um, uh, and I'm sorry, his name, I believe his name was Ryan. It was it was absolutely right. I mean, the cost of housing would go through go through the roof, in particular when we're already having this conversation about um, you know to this, the two Detroits and you know gentrification and people being pushed out. I mean, it would, ju- it would just be infinitely exacerbated. And, and even in New York and D.C., this is a logistical nightmare of sorts, this idea of 50,000 people coming into a city and having to, having to, to, to live there and, sure. and work there and, and use the public infrastructure. This is not going to be easy even for those places. No, it's not. And, you know, we, we saw almost the reverse when, you know, D- D- Detroit was experiencing its, its decline and how do, how do city services um, deal with um, a, a, sh- a shrinking city that's, you know, 140, you know, 3,942 square miles, but, you know, declining, declining workforce. Uh, it's it, it's going to be almost a, the reverse in, in New York. How do you um, provide the essential services that these additional, you know, 25,000 workers and their families in both New York and D.C. are, are, are going to need, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, transportation, you know, fire protection, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, th- these are questions that those two communities and cities are going to have to wrestle with. Okay, Kirk Pinho, reporter. For Grains Detroit Business, thanks very much for being here with us thanks, on Detroit Today. A reminder that Thursday, that's tomorrow, November 15th, Detroit Today is teaming up with Bridge Magazine, Detroit Public Television, and Chalkbeat for a community conversation about how K-12 students in the city frequently change schools and how that impacts education in our region. You are invited to attend at the Detroit Public Library on Woodward in Midtown, we are going to record a live version of Detroit Today during the presentation. So uh, come out and join us and talk about mobility. Visit WDET.org events for more information. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.